Support for today's episode of Script Apart comes from We Screenplay. If you just completed a draft of a script and are wondering what next, well, you need to check out We Screenplay. We Screenplay not only offers amazing free resources, like virtual events where your questions are answered by Hollywood's leading professionals, with incredible 72-hour turnaround, format-specific feedback tailored to your specific goals, and a price that no one else can come close to, We Screenplay coverage is used by thousands of writers in every phase of their careers, from emerging writers still finding their voice all the way to Oscar winners. So if your script is all ready to go, check out one of We Screenplay's labs, where dozens of writers have been repped, optioned, and staffed as a direct result of the real-life industry meetings and hands-on workshops offered by We Screenplay. Don't stay stuck. We Screenplay want to help. Check out We Screenplay by visiting wescreenplay.com or clicking the link in today's show notes. Support for this episode also comes from our friends at Screencraft. Breaking into Hollywood as an aspiring writer can be a confusing, convoluted thing. Fortunately, Screencraft is here to help writers with both the craft of writing and the business of Hollywood. Screencraft has everything for your writing journey, from video lectures starring your favorite writers to hands-on career coaching with their excellent writer development team. These guys offer the best screenwriting competitions designed to help your talent shine, featuring judges that really know their genre, from top literary reps to Oscar-winning screenwriters. Hundreds of past winners and finalists have started their careers with the direct support of Screencraft, Winners have been staffed on shows at Netflix, Amazon, Apple TV+, the list goes on. They've also sold scripts and been hired to write films for the likes of Universal, Lionsgate, Blumhouse and Hulu. So if you're an aspiring writer, what are you waiting for? Don't wait to check out Screencraft today. Visit screencraft.org or click the link in today's show notes. Okay, hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Script Apart, a podcast about the first draft secrets of great movies and TV shows. I'm Al Horner, a guy who longs to be a Raphael, you know, dark and brooding, but is actually more of a Donatello, if I'm being honest with myself. This week, the talented Jeff Rowe is here to talk all things turtles, teenage mutant ninja ones to be precise. The Heroes in a Half Shell returned earlier this year in the astounding Mutant Mayhem, which Jeff directed from a script that he co-wrote with Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. I was expecting the film to be thrilling, and I knew that it would be hilarious. Jeff's last movie, The Mitchells vs. The Machines, which he discussed on Script Apart back in 2021, was an absolute laugh riot. And you probably don't need reminding of all the iconic comedies that Seth and Evan have penned, Superbad being just the tip of that particular iceberg. So yeah, I was anticipating laughter. What I wasn't ready for was how emotional this film would be. The trio approached the story as a coming-of-age tale inspired by films like Lady Bird and Stand By Me, and it really brought back some powerful memories for me. Memories of being an adolescent, I mean. I have no memories of fighting crime as a sewer-dwelling ninjutsu warrior, obviously. Um, the story behind how Turtles was written is almost as radical as the movie itself. Seth, Evan and Jeff worked hard on one version of the film, only to realise fairly far into production that the story was fundamentally broken. So they got together and across a high pressure 48 hours, tore up their script like Master Splinter tearing up bad guys and started completely anew. In the conversation you're about to hear, Jeff and I discuss that discarded version of the script, in which the iconic villain Shredder was a Vince Vaughn type as Jeff puts it, 
wreaking havoc on New York. There's thorough analysis of all the key scenes in the film, and Jeff opens up about his difficult family life growing up, and how it fed into the story that he wanted to tell here. A huge thanks to Jeff for being a fantastic guest once again, this time in person, which was fun. And a huge thanks also to all of you who've signed up to be members of our Patreon community. If you like what we do on Script Apart and want to help the show continue to grow, you can sign up by visiting patreon.com forward slash script apart, where for the price of a single monthly cup of coffee, you'll get a ton of perks, including ad-free episodes and the chance to ask your questions to upcoming guests. This podcast is totally independent. There's no big team behind us. It's just me and my producer Cam. So any support you can throw our way is hugely appreciated and helps us make more episodes. Simple as that. Okay, with that all out the way, grab a slice of pizza and settle in my dudes. It's time to get radical with our great guest this week, Jeff Rowe, discussing the first draft secrets of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Thanks everyone for tuning in. You're listening to Script Apart, hosted by me, Al Horner, produced by Camille Demek. First and foremost, man, you know about us calling them hero turtles here, right? I've heard about that. People right? told me, why. what's wrong with the ninja? What's... <laughs> so the, uh, the history, as far as I know, is that the government was convinced that allowing these characters to be called ninjas was glamorizing ninjas and would lead to a disturbing rise in ninja children. <laughs> British ninja children. Yeah. Little well, British ninja children. Yeah. It's got a ring to it. The, yeah. I think the single most British thing I've ever heard, for some reason, this is the absolute distillation of the essence of, of the UK. When uh, the second Turtles movie came out, was it Secrets of the Use? I forget what the title yeah, is. Secret, yeah, yeah. Oh, like yeah. It, the anxiety was so severe that... The, the the BBFC, the British, what is it? The British Board of Film Classification. That's right. They uh, basically requested an edit to the film. They said um, there was a scene in which Michelangelo uses a pair of sausage links as oh, pretend yeah. nunchucks, and they basically asked for it to be cut right down because they were worried it might cause sausage-related injuries across the UK. What? That is wild. Welcome um, to the UK, Jeff. Welcome that's, to the UK. I don't get that you, <laughs> no no colonizing the world no issue with uh uh but but uh no issue with that but so god forbid there's a sausage related uh injury exactly uh, you gotta have a line somewhere yeah a line. <laughs> that's it that's yeah. the, it's it uh <sighs> Well, that's that's a that's a history lesson to begin the show with. Jeff Rowe, welcome back. You're back on Script Apart, your second time with us. How's it going today? It's going good. It's uh, feeling great. I love London. It's it's exciting uh, being here. Um, uh, I'm excited to be talking about this and revealing all of the secrets uh, <laughs> uh, that we've been keeping for for many years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm especially grateful that you've taken the time out to chat with me, given how. As we all know, as the old saying goes, podcasters are the demon scum of the earth. Avoid them. Don't say hi. They lust to murder that which is different from them. To interact with them is to die. I don't think that's fair. <laughs> I think that's uh, it's, it's objectively prejudiced against uh, 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 podcasters. Uh, I like podcasters. 
that is just one of many lines from this movie that I adore. Had such a great time with uh, Turtles. As someone who grew up on Turtles, as did you, I discovered when we uh, we spoke last time. We we last caught up. God, it was for an, a piece for Empire magazine ahead of the release of Mutant Mayhem. And I remember in that conversation, Jeff, you were telling me about um, how your love for Turtles began with, with an action figure. And I remember asking you at the time how you thought it might feel as and when you got your hands on a Turtles action figure from Mutant Mayhem, from your very own Turtles movie. Like, yeah, the emotion that might come from that kind of full circle moment. And uh, you said the thought hadn't crossed your mind till exactly that minute and you just started kind of laughing maniacally. So <laughs> give me the update <laughs> sounds like, on that. Sounds like it's really cool. It's really, uh, uh, they, they sent me a bunch of stuff. I don't, I don't have the heart to like open any of the boxes yet. Uh, but it's, um, uh, it, it's, it's really, uh, wild to walk into the aisle of a store and just see a section that is entirely our film and uh, uh i can't uh i can't believe it's happening and and to also see people just like looking at it to see like little kids like like oh what is this and and like watching their brains form the same synapses that mine did when <laughs> when I was four years old and and saw one of these weird, wonderful things for the first time. Yeah. It's really cool. Have you ever worked out what it was when you were four years old that kind of attracted you to the turtles when when you first laid eyes on these action figures? It they were they were like they didn't belong. They had like no reason to exist. They were like they had uh they had like like attitude the graphic design was cool to me i didn't know what cool was but <laughs> i i was just like whoa that's that's cool i think they made me laugh but i think they also like i wanted to play with them and make them fight and 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 make them be ninjas and it was just so many different things that that interested me rolled into one little enigma that I couldn't, <laughs> uh, uh, my brain couldn't process. And I, I think also like my parents didn't fully understand it. And that just made me like it more, you know, it <laughs> felt like it was for me. Well, in fairness to your parents, like it's a lot to, it's a lot to get your head around. Like I, I've lived with my love for turtles my entire life. Like I, I think I kind of yeah, discovered turtles around around a similar age. So it's it's something I realized when I was watching Mutant Mayhem that I've never questioned. I've never questioned the concept of these characters and yeah, how it, utterly bonkers the concept of, of these characters is to anyone on the outside. The name itself, like every single word in that sentence is more insane than the last. It's like, yeah. fine, <laughs> okay, they're teenagers. All right, yeah. but wait, they're mutants too? And ninjas. That alone, like teenage mutants. Interesting. You exactly. can do a, you can do a whole in. movie with just teenage <laughs> mutants. Like that's that's enough. Teenage mutant ninjas. Okay. But, but wait, they're humans, right? Yeah. yeah oh no, no, sir. <laughs> <laughs> don't please don't assume. Don't rush into it. Uh yeah, no, yeah. yeah. It's wild. None of those things should 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 go together. But but they do. And, and, and honestly, like, I, I think uh, not not to to preempt y you or the conversation, but like that was 
there's a built-in challenge in writing that. Like yeah. you have to make sense of a thing that was designed to not make sense. Uh just for movie-going audiences, just to like wring emotion out of it and and make it feel relatable and and real. It's like, okay, we've got all these different things. How do we like ground that in some sense of reality? Uh and that's a big challenge. <laughs> There's, there's a challenge to it, but there's also opportunity, it occurs to me, because well, each of those words implies like a storytelling angle, I guess. Yeah. Like they're teenagers, so they're going through growing pains. They're mutants, so they're outcasts. They inherently kind of don't fit in. They're ninjas, which brings a promise of action. And they're turtles, which is just insane. So Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I mean, when you say it like that, yeah, it was, uh, we had our work cut out for us. It was pretty, uh, uh, pretty cut and dry. This movie, though, perhaps more so than any other iteration of these characters, there's an emphasis on that word teenage. Like they're, they're written as teens. They're voiced by teens. They're drawn not with these kind of hench bodies, but with the kind of scrawny bodies of kids going through that awkward adolescent phase. What felt so enticing about that as a place for us to begin? I think, I think because one, it, it hadn't been done before really with these characters. Like, uh, uh, they were always teenagers, which was always interesting to me, but also they never, I, I think by the time I became an actual teenager, I was like, this is nothing that cartoons promised me when, <laughs> when I was a kid. This is such a, a different and much more miserable uh, 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 experience. But uh, I think, I think uh, that's a big part of it. And, and I think, um, I don't know, like I like coming of age stories it's it's one of my favorite um types of film and and i think it's like a really special time in your life when you're you're you go through puberty you start experiencing your motions like with the amp turned up to 11 it's so uh 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 it's so much more visceral than it was before that and you get in your head about everyone else looking at you like you, you kind of become aware that you are a social entity with status in for better or worse and whatever that means and uh uh and it's uh it's emotional it's a it's it's emotional and it's universal and i'm i'm like that hasn't really been it hasn't been explored with the ninja turtles that angle and it also hasn't super been explored in animation or at least modern western uh uh animation it's it's usually the protagonists are are younger and not dealing with like real relatable teen issues even when they are teens um uh notable exceptions like turning red obviously is yeah. is amazing um but yeah, it's it, it just seemed like a rich area. Uh, uh, I, I, as an artist, I'm always kind of intrigued by like wh what's new ground that we can break. Like what's something new that we can do, and that felt new. That's interesting. It, it leads me nicely to to a guess circuit important question, which is when you talk about breaking new ground versus what you had to deliver to make this a turtles movie. How did you kind of navigate those? 
two things. Like you, this is an IP that's been rebooted a number of times. Not all of those reboots have been successful. What, what do you mean? What are you, <laughs> please, uh, no, no, yeah, of course, totally. But it, it must put you in a tricky bind in terms of approaching the project and trying to work and trying to work out like, where is the room for me to play here versus what are the things that are just quintessentially turtles you have to include those yeah it's 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 really it's really interesting I, I think i think we made like an agreement early on when i say we me and the art team me and seth but it was it was nonverbal. it was just kind of like a mutual understanding that we had about the way we were going to handle this material which is we never wanted to make a choice simply for fan service like we always had to serve the characters first and the story first and make sure that from a writing perspective everything made sense and if we're able to seamlessly integrate an easter egg sure like uh but we're not gonna like do a whole setup and payoff and and this is in versions of the script and and we cut it because we we didn't like it where it's like mikey says like Whoa, Kawabunga. And they're like, Mikey, what a weird thing to to say. Why would you say that? Who what are you? A surfer from the 90s? Haha. Ha, they have a whole bit. And then by the end, they all are like, you know what? Kawabunga, Mikey. Uh, and it's like, it was fine, it was funny, but it was also meta and 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 self-aware. And 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 generally, like, I, I find meta humor to take me out of films. It's funny. It's it's clever, but it's it, it makes me remember that I'm sitting in a theater watching a movie and I'm yeah. not experiencing a story. And and I think just taste wise, Seth and I kind of tried to step away from that uh, when when those opportunities would present themselves. So really, it was just like what works for the characters, what works for the story. Yeah. This is, by the way, speaking of Seth, the furthest we've ever got into an episode of Script Part in which like speaking about a film in which Seth was involved when the guest has not yet done the impersonation of the laugh. <laughs> People just love to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um how how was it working with Seth? Can you talk about like the creative chemistry that you had with him and yeah, Evan as well, of course. Yeah, no, it was it was it was really great. Seth and Evan are 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 really smart people, really um really grounded for uh the amount of of fame that they have and uh really collaborative uh you know like there's there's a world where uh Seth Rogen gets asked to do a Ninja Turtles movie and he kind of lends his name to it and doesn't really care he cared a lot and he he rolled up his sleeves and got in there and 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 we and we wrote it so it's like I would go to his this was towards the end of the process when we basically had to pivot the story and and rewrite the entire thing in like 48 hours. And then we had to do that a couple more times, but uh, I would just go to his house and Evan would be there and we would just all sit around working off of a single uh, script document and kind of just like slowly go through and, and um, to contrast the process uh, to the way me and Mike wrote uh, Mitchell's versus the machines we would talk about a scene and we're like, we need this to happen. Uh, we need Rick to realize this. Uh, here's like five different ways that we can do it. Okay, Mike, you write those three. I'm going to go write these three. We write a bunch of different versions and then we read them out loud to each other and we see like, does this work? Does this work? What do we like? 
maybe if we combine these two or maybe none of them work and we need to try something different. And then we, we talk and we go back to writing and it's just this like constant scramble to generate a, a lot of material. And with Seth and Evan, it's, it's slower. It's a different pace. It's like, okay, the turtles get here and well, what would happen? I don't know. Let's think about that. Let's talk about that. And then we talk for 30 minutes and then we'd come up with a solution that felt great and like, oh, that's the scenes missing that the turtles need to the the turtles would make this kind of joke about this and approach it from this way. OK, let's let's write the scene that way. And then we just inch forward a little bit longer. And it's and it's even though the pace and the energy felt slower, we got just as much done in in record time. And it was a, a it was a really interesting new way for me to work uh it was it was really eye-opening and 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 inspiring you've alluded to it there i've heard kind of fragments of this story about how there was a script and you realized in this sort of text exchange with with seth and the guys that it was fundamentally broken Mm -hmm. and uh you needed as you say to kind of rewrite this entire story in 48 hours yeah I can't imagine the panic that would have set in. I can't imagine the terror. Can, can you tell us the story of where the script was before and what was not working about it? I understand that script had Shredder as the villain and there were other kind of big fundamental changes. Yeah, so it's like the 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 very first version of the movie, um, uh, Shredder was the main villain and I'm not going to give away plot twists or spoilers about that because some sometimes those things... Be, end up getting used again and i don't <laughs> yeah. want to i don't want to take away from uh the shredder movie that we're trying to make right now yeah. um but um but shredder was the villain there was a foot clan uh uh it seemed like the foot clan was composed of kids at this local high school so the turtles were like oh we have to go to high school to uh go undercover and and find out the foot clan so we can stop shredder and and one of the issues with that was uh you just don't care about the ninja turtles fighting crime it's 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 like an assumed thing in a lot of these superhero movies where it's like well and they're and they're heroes so of course they they go out and they look to fight crime but it's like crime is complicated it's the product of uh uh social uh 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 issues and and the idea that like a group of vigilantes are out there doling justice uh, I, I think to like me and seth and evan is like not a thing to root for like it's kind of it's kind of messed up and and we even had versions where the turtles are just like discussing that like why are we doing this like yeah. this is this is kind of messed up uh and um and we're like, it's just too unrelatable. But but the whole thing had been conceived of, bought, pitched, sold as a high school movie. So we're like, well, maybe they just want to go to high school and they don't know that crime is happening around them or, or that uh, uh, basically like the inciting incident of the film is they uh, uh, go above ground one day. Uh, this was like towards the end of act one. And and we had this whole like incredibly funny scene where 
Uh, they just show up at the front doors of a school, like dressed in normal clothes. And they're like, hi, we'd like to go to school. And uh, and the security guard is eating a bacon, egg and cheese and it just falls out of his mouth. And he's like, call someone. And then it's like police show up, ambulances show up, firefighter shows up, animal control shows up. People are like chasing them with nets like the CIA gets involved. They pass them up to the FBI. Like everyone's like, what are you doing? Interrogating them. Like, do you have social security numbers? Like, uh, uh, where are you from? Um, just asking all of the questions that society would ask if this were to really happen in this like really uh, uh, very funny like 60 second scene that just ends with the U.S. government agreeing to allow them to go to high school and the high school principal <laughs> saying like uh, uh, like. All right, I'm just going to like answer these questions once. Uh, uh, yes, they are turtles. Uh, uh, yes, they speak English. Uh, no, we don't know where they're from. We don't know why. Uh, they will be allowed to go to prom. Don't ask questions about that. Uh, uh, it, it, it just like it, it was like that, but for like 35 seconds. And then uh, and then it's like, I never want to hear about them again. And then we just had the turtles in high school. And uh and the and and Stockman was like a high school teacher that was trying to capture them for like uh, nefarious reasons, and they're trying to avoid Stockman. Uh, uh, and then uh, and they're trying to be popular, and they're trying to like have people like them. And it was all fine. Like we had a version of that film that was very funny and entertaining and i think a lot of people were like great this is, this is such a better ninja turtles film than we thought we were gonna have great let's just make it and and have it be done uh by by this time and we were like in the process of making that version of the movie and uh and a lot of things just weren't coming together and and there was a day when i don't remember i think seth said it first but we were we were texting about it uh, and, and he, it was one of those, like, I don't want to say this out loud, but let's just say it is the entire movie fundamentally broken because they get exactly what they want on page 30 of the script. And I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> Whoo! Oh my God. Thank God. Someone said that out loud. That is, uh, I have been living in fear and anxiety, uh, that, that this movie was going to be unfixable. And, uh, uh, and then, uh, we were like, yeah, no, that is messed up. And here's, it should be at the end. If they want to go to high school, that's a thing. And then if that was at the end, you could do this and you could do this. And then it's like, the whole thing is about them trying to get there. And it gives you like this whole trackable story that you can root for and, and blah, 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 blah. That's great. Okay, so no one's going to like this. The studio is not going to be happy uh, 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 about this because the the one constant through through the process of making the film was they're like, we need this movie to come out around this time in this year. Like, yeah. they gave us a lot of leeway and, and, and let us... I mean, I think that's part of the reason the movie is so creatively uh daring in its in its visual style and and a lot of elements of its execution uh is they they were just like you do whatever you want just as long as we have it on this date and um we had had this conversation it was one of those things that it's like once you know it you can't unknow it you'll never see the world <laughs> again in the same way uh and we're like well 
we we talked to our producer Ramsey McBean, uh, and and we're like, what to preserve the production schedule and still get the movie done on time? How soon would we need a new script? And he was like, this was on like a Tuesday. This was maybe I think this was like around Fourth of July or or some summer holiday weekend. Might have been Memorial Day. And he's like, we would need this by the end of the weekend. Um. And then uh, Seth was like, we can do that. That's great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll get well, whatever. We'll get you a new script in a weekend. Yeah. Come on. That's easy. Writing goes very fast. Don't don't. He's like very, very reassuring. Um, but we so we like that was on like a Tuesday. And then from like Tuesday to like Friday, we like uh, brainstormed with a bunch of people and like figured out the plot structure of a version of a movie where they get to high school at the end. And then we essentially wrote it over that three day weekend. And then, and then we, uh, uh, and then we're like, okay, studio, we've got an issue, but we've also got a solution. Uh, 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 check, check this out. And, and people were very rightfully and reasonably, scared like they had they had the studio had given us a lot of trust and a lot of of goodwill in in making this and for us to say so late in the process we want to completely change everything and um uh uh fundamentally like all of the assumptions we've had about this film it being a high school movie we just want to throw that out like is a frightening proposition um but you know, we showed them the work and we pitched our theory of what it had to be. And, 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 you know, thankfully to Brian Robbins and, and Ramsey Nido's credit, they, they were, um, sharp enough to see, um, that it was an improvement and that it made the story better. And that in a roundabout way, it gave everyone more of something they wanted, which was an action film. And, the turtles being the Ninja Turtles. There's more opportunities for scenes of that in that conception. And um, it was, uh, uh, and, and, and they, they let us do it. And then we, you know, we still rewrote it multiple times <laughs> after that. Like there, there was a version when, you know, we had started moving forward on that version of the movie and it was like way better, but it still wasn't perfect. And then uh, we were, it's still a mystery to me. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross agreed to uh, uh, meet with us about potentially scoring this film. So we we went to their studio and we had this like really great uh, creative conversation with them. And at the end, they were like, cool. Yeah, just, you know, send us a script. And we we're like, we'll, we'll do. We'll, absolutely, buddy. Seth, we have to rewrite this. We have to like we cannot like embarrass ourselves in front of our music heroes. Like, let's make sure this is like like this script has to be social network. Good. Uh, so uh, so then we like rewrote it again in anticipation of, of, uh, uh, trying to impress, uh, Trent and Atticus. And, and that was a process that we just kept doing until we couldn't yeah. anymore. Um, wow. <laughs> Sorry. I just talked for like 30 minutes. Uh, no, it's great, man. I, I am, you know, to go back to what we were saying earlier about the things, the things you assume to be the audience expectations of a turtles film like I'm imagining how scary it must have been to have to park using Shredder as a villain 
but also like the excitement of how much more room that must have opened up for the turtles themselves to, to kind of like just zero in on that character for a second maybe there are limits on how much you can tell me because you know we saw at the end of, of turtles mutant mayhem like there is a tease for shredder yep. coming soon um is there anything you can tell me about that your iteration of that character you've yeah. taken a very like particular and often kind of like borderline revolutionary new approach to some of the other existing characters from from the world of the turtles so yeah how did it play out with 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 shredder uh, no, it's, it's, uh, th this part I could talk about because, uh, I am confident that this doesn't work and, uh, should not be used in a shredder version of the film, but we're like, well, um, he, he like, he's a crime boss. He's like a New York crime boss, I think was like the first thought. And it's like, that kind of makes sense. And maybe he's like, uh. It's kind of like a wisecracking, smooth-talking, like Vince Vaughn type. Like, that was kind of the pitch on his personality. And he was just such a, like, New York guy that maybe was always, like, playing with a knife and uh, 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 called, uh, and people called him Shredder. And, uh, uh, but I don't know if we, like, had him in like a samurai helmet or, or a cape or anything like he was so not the, the traditional character, but he was also working with Baxter Stockman. Like, uh, uh he, he was like an illegal animals dealer. He, he was like an imports exports guy. So he, he had like a bunch of swords and he had a bunch of like things and that, that, and, and guns and stuff that he got illegally, including animals, which he would sell to Baxter Stockman to do research on. And Stockman was like trying to, perfect his ooze and create, uh, um, uh, these, uh, uh, these mutants. Like, uh, uh, the, the movie used to open with like Stockman doing a whole presentation where it's like, I've created a, a, a serum that'll turn animals into super soldiers. Like, uh, isn't that great? And then the presentation goes bad and he gets fired and he accidentally drops some in the sewer. And then we had this, uh, <laughs> it was like, it was this long, it was almost like, uh, Batman returns. Like there's like a scene going through the sewers, like, yeah. uh, like following the, 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 the baby. But like, it, it was like the ooze going through the sewers set to the song Israelites by Desmond Decker. And it was very like <laughs> Vince Gilligan, like, it would run into a slice of pizza and it would bump and then it would water would drip on it. And the color changed until it eventually became the green ooze that we know and recognize. And then it, it kind of washed its way onto some turtles. And then we just cut like 15 years, uh, um, into the future. And then, uh, Stockman was trying to, the whole movie was trying to kidnap the turtles so that he could, uh, understand what made, the ooze work that one time and he hasn't been able to get it to make sense. And there's like a really funny joke where it's like, it's just, it, it went, it went through the sewers. Of course it's, it's the secret ingredient is pee pee poo poo. Like that's, that's it. Uh, a lot of dumb, dumb shit like that. Uh, that made us laugh way too hard. Uh, but, um, he, uh, 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 and like, and so, so shredder was like a, crime lord who could get him things and help stockman in his goal to do that who then sees stockman who then is like whoa stockman's trying to get these turtles i bet there's a bunch of money in that uh i'm an opportunist i should get on that too and uh uh 
and then he kind of betrays Stockman and he he gets a batch of viable ooze and he creates this giant monster that then attacks the city, uh, which later became super duper fly. Um, and uh, and it just like it wasn't Shredder. Yeah, uh, A lot of people, I think, would have been mad about <laughs> about that uh, version of of Shredder. Um it was uh <laughs> I'm just remembering some of the scenes that that used to be in there. But but it's like it wasn't Shredder. It wasn't that interesting of a character. He didn't have that interesting of a want. His whole thing was he's like I just want like some people want this, some people want to rule the world. I just want a billion dollars. That's it. Just a billion dollars. Like, think about that. Do you know how much money that is compared to like a million dollars? Like, I just want like, no, I'm not wounded in my childhood. There's no, there's nothing wrong with me. This like, don't read into this. I just love money and I just want a, a billion dollars. Uh, and it was very funny, but it was it didn't like make you care as a uh, uh, as an audience member. At some point, we're like, well, it's not really Shredder, so maybe we make that the TMNT lore villain Rat King, uh, and that took some of the pressure off of that character needing to be Shredder. So then we had Rat King and Stockman, and then we're like, uh, we also started designing mutants like Ray Filet, we had these really cool drawings and, and we introduced Mondo Gecko as a character. And, uh, and Seth was like, it's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like we love the mutants. These things are really cool. Don't we want more mutants? And also maybe shouldn't the villain be a mutant? And it was another one of those like, oh, yeah, yeah, because if the villain's a mutant, if the turtles are mutants and they can't fit in and the villain has the same problem as they do, that gives us some interesting stuff to do from a writing perspective. Uh, and what if, uh, uh, and we were like, uh, at some sometime around there, like, the relationship between Splinter and the the kids was becoming solid and that was becoming a core part of the story. And we're like, well, well, what if the mutant villain was also kind of like a father figure to all these other mutant characters that we want? And then it's like Splinter could be flawed, but ultimately good. And this guy can be flawed, but ultimately bad or not not have his kids best interest at heart and uh and now we've got like a story about dads and different parenting styles and uh that superfly's relationship sometime around there it became the character of superfly and we're like oh superfly's relationship with the mutants shows the turtles something about their own relationship with their dad and and vice versa and it, it just started like wires started crossing and sparking and it started making sense, I guess. Yeah, yeah. When you describe, not to labor too long on Shredder, but when you describe him as like a, a Vince Vaughn type in your in your mind, had you got that far in terms of um, you know casting? Was was Vince Vaughn likely to be someone you would have approached? Oh yeah, no, we we were talking about it. We we're like, yeah, I guess we cast Vince Vaughn. I guess if he's a Vince <laughs> Vaughn type, we should probably cast uh, Vince Vaughn, huh? Is that? <laughs> is that a cool decision? Do kids, do kids, kids care? Yeah. Kid, 
kids love Vuong. They're they're, they're they're all about it. That's yeah. I see they're the t-shirts the that they that they wear, uh, <laughs> screaming in the toy aisle for more Vince Vaughn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's we never started casting that. I think we kept delaying because we're like we can't we can't cast this character yet because uh, we were all kind of looking at each other and 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 like body languaging like I don't think this is going to stay mm-hmm. in the film but we don't know it's going to replace it yet. It's interesting. Well, if it's okay with you, let's let's dive into some scenes from from the finished movie. Oh, of course. Um, so the the movie begins with this raid and uh, we sort of descend upon the sort of lair if you like of dr baxter stockman we learn through this kind of tactical team briefing um as this kind of armed squad of goons descends on his place that uh he's a genetic scientist who went rogue with billions of dollars worth of research and he's created actual mutants so you're essentially starting the film with superfly's origin story and i guess tangentially the origin of the turtles although it's not their scene that's still to come can, can you break down for me what felt so right about this as the starting point for Mutant Mayhem? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's uh, uh, we we it, you know there there is not a uh, joke in the first five minutes of the film, which is vulnerable for for an animated uh, uh, family family film because uh, because it's like even on Mitchell's, it's like there's like a laugh within the first like 30 seconds. And it's like, OK, we've got the audience. They're engaged. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can sit in my theater chair comfortably now with this one. It's like. I guess people seem tense. Uh, I, I hope, I hope they, I hope they care. I hope they're, I hope they're watching. Um, but, uh, we, we wanted to establish real stakes. Like the turtles are going to be fun and lovable and goofy, but like this will take place in a real world. And, and it's, it's, um, a movie is only as tense and compelling as you as an audience member can believe that something might actually go wrong horribly wrong and to kill a character in the opening a major canonical character uh in a way that isn't funny or or i think even uh uh uh, emo like overwrought emotionally it's it's kind of matter of fact i think just sets up like oh anything can happen and also there's a really scary powerful mutant baby fly (laughs) out there we think we don't ever really get a good look at it in in the opening um but it 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 basically told us where the ooze came from it told us where the turtles came from it told us it told us and and the audience like things are gonna get interesting later uh we're gonna go like be a mumblecore film for 20 minutes after this, but, uh, but stick with us. Like things are going to be really compelling when we, when we get back to them. Um, and I guess that's what it served. Support for this episode comes from our friends at Stowe Story Labs. Stowe Story Labs is a nonprofit organization who for a decade now have offered labs, writers retreats, long form writing programs, ongoing mentoring and advanced development programs to emerging filmmakers from around the world. These guys are committed to lifting up new voices in the world of film and here comes the good news, are currently accepting submissions for their 2024 narrative labs, 
producer labs, writers retreats and financial support applications. The retreats in particular sound absolutely dreamy. The idea of being able to knuckle down on my next script surrounded by other writers in beautiful Galway or on the coast of California is pretty tantalizing if you ask me. These events are set to run from June to November 2024 and there are at least 11 fellowships up for grabs for writers to whom the cost of attending would be prohibitive, as well as $80,000 in full and partial scholarships. Applications close on December 25th, 2023, but for a discounted application price, visit stowstorylabs.org or hit the link in today's show notes before November 1st. That address again, it's stowstorylabs.org. Support for this episode also comes from our friends at Arc Studio Pro. If you're a screenwriter looking for an intuitive way to pen that next great screenplay idea of yours, Arc Studio understands how you think and what you need to get in the zone and produce your best work. It has fantastic storyboarding features, its interface is miraculously distraction-free, and if you're one of those who has a writing partner, you're going to love their stress-free real-time collaboration tools, which are kind of similar to Google Docs. The software is being used by beginners and professionals alike, such as the team behind the Netflix show Arcane and David Wayne, the writer-director behind Wet Hot American Summer. Arc Studio offers a completely free version of the software, meaning that anyone anywhere can download it today and get writing, no matter their experience level. Or to unlock Arc Studio's full suite of amazing tools, you can get $30 off a pro subscription by heading to arcstudiopro.com forward slash script apart. That address again, if you want to join the thousands of screenwriters who have already made the leap, it's arcstudiopro.com forward slash script apart, or click the link in today's show notes. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Something interesting is introduced in that scene as well. Like Stockman promises his mutants he's creating a real family for all of us. I never had a family. And family is going to play a big part in this movie as it did in Mitchell's. How would you describe, uh, yeah, what that word family means to this movie and the ways in which, yeah, it differs from what maybe you and Mike Reander explored in Mitchell's? Because, well, it's, it strikes me here that, you know, the characters making bad decisions in this film are characters who, who maybe don't have great familial relationships. They, they, they don't have those people around them to hold them accountable, to reset their moral compasses when they go askew and, and so on. Yeah, I, I it's 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 an interesting thing for me personally because like I did not have a very good family growing up. Like I I, I kind of had a rough childhood, uh, and, and I had aunts. I had extended family that was like really um, nurturing and and loving to me, and and I think I, I I owe a lot to them. But my like my like nuclear at home family uh, was not, um, was not great. And I, I also never knew my, my biological father. So it's like the, the guy who essentially raised me as my dad was like, um, my adoptive stepdad. And, um, and, and I, I, at some point at a young age or at some point in my life, I was like, that's a, that's a cool thing to do. Like to, to, uh, to take on, someone else's kid and, and raise it as you, as your own. And, and it's so, so I've just personally, I've always had a, um, slightly 
uh, unusual definition or concept of family. Um, And I think when we made Mitchell, something that uh, I'm really proud of that film and I'm, I'm really proud of the story that we told. But I think I was also a little bit bummed out because it was a film that affirms like family is important. Family matters. And it was affirming a very like traditional nuclear family. Yeah. Um, and I think family does matter. I think community matters. I think uh, uh, friendships and relationships matter. But I think like family for me is something um, that you define for yourself and uh, anybody can theoretically be your family. It's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of what you, what you make it. And, um, so it was like important to me that, uh, Splinter be an adoptive father. Yeah. Also, it just made sense because he's a rat. They're turtles. (laughs) He, he found them. They're not blood related. They don't, have a lot of money or conveniences. He's splinter is pretty flawed (laughs) as a, uh, uh, as a parent, like similar stuff to Mitchell's like, like depicting a flawed family, but there's, there's love underneath it felt, um, all felt important. And, uh, and, and then at the end of the movie, their, their family, um, grows and they adopt more people into it. And it, it kind of affirms that idea of, of found family. Like <laughs> we always, we used to, we always used to joke that the end of the movie is like the end of boogie nights where it's like these weird, uh, this like group of strange people come together <laughs> and form this like beautiful little, uh, uh, family together and it shouldn't work. But, but it does. And we even had like a montage set to God only knows that was like almost straight out of boogie nights. Uh, but, um, of just like the mutants, like finding their, their place, uh, 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 in the world. But, um, I guess, I guess that's like, that's, that's the, that's the idea of the film is, is family can be anything you want. And, and also it's like, your dad is not always uh, right. Like we did, like the turtles were, were like, don't really do anything wrong. Like Splinter is kind of wrong. They shouldn't, they maybe shouldn't listen to him or yeah. his like crazy ideas about humans. And, and, and it was really uh, important to, to, to me and Seth and Evan to, to have Splinter, come around to the turtle sides of things and, and recognize his own flaws and be like, I want to support you and help you. And I want, I don't get this, but it makes you happy. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to help you in this because I want you to be happy and, and seeing, and I see now as a parent based on this other bad job of parenting that I just watched, um, that that should be my priority. Um, and it, and it all kind of like made sense and felt, um, felt true to me, I guess. Yeah. I love, I mean, first of all, thanks for sharing that with me, Jeff. Um, I love how I did, I had, I already found the splinter aspect of the story really emotional, but that's knowing that there's like a kind of personal link for you there that adds definitely a different context to it. 
I, I love the character Splinter, and I love how even though he's he's their mentor and ostensibly you know just an old dude, he's yeah. uh he's not complete. Like there's emotional growth that he has to undergo in this movie, uh, as you say, in terms of his relationship to humans and his almost kind of Finding Nemo esque overprotection of his kids. There's fear to this version of Splinter that um, you kind of weave into jokes. Like there's there's a great line where he says, "You're all I'll ever have." There's no app to meet other mutant ladies. Trust me, I check every day, which is funny, but it's also kind of tinged with heartache. The turtles really are all he has. And he's a supporting character, but you've given him almost like a main character depth, if you like. Was that hard to find or finding his own personal arc in this? Like, how did you approach that? No, I mean, I mean, like, and I think, I think you're, you're, you're like, you're, you're scratching at something that we didn't explore in this film, but is, is maybe something to explore in the next one. Uh, and, And it's something that's really interesting about their, their relationship to me is, um, Splinter, how much of his his raising the kids and finding the kids and loving the kids is about loving them and how much of his is about him and his own trauma and uh uh never being liked by anyone and then he finds these like four innocent uh, uh turtle babies who like idolize him and and uh uh and it's it's almost like a transactional relationship for him or something like you know like i i believe fully that splinter absolutely loves um loves the turtles and 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 cares about them deeply but i think he's also flawed and there's there's some <laughs> there's there's some emotional uh a profit uh uh in it for him and i think that's something to uh, 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 explore. And I think we even had a version in, in one version of the scene that people were like, Whoa, that's like too intense. But, uh, we're, we're Raph like called him out and it's like, you're not even our real dad. Like you just found us. We're just like the only things that didn't hate you. Like y- you don't care about us. And, 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 uh, and yeah. And people were like, ah, I don't think you can have the characters say that. I was like, no, that's exactly why they have to say it. It's so real. Yeah. And it's such a, a real thing for a pissed off teenager to uh, say to say to their parent. Um, and I'm like, that's, I don't know. Like I like writing when it's, um, I like writing that engages with uh, questions like that and maybe doesn't immediately have an answer. And it's like, okay, yeah. What is true? <laughs> like, like, like what's, uh, how would the characters respond to and, 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 and explore this? I don't have the answer, but, uh, that's like an interesting shade to splinter that, um, uh, is something maybe worth looking into. I don't know. We fast forward 15 years. We, we then meet the turtles. I love how they're introduced. We, we see their silhouettes leaping between rooftops as Leonardo says in this kind of gravelly voice. Master Splinter has given us a very important mission for tonight. The target is across the street. We must use stealth and cunning to infiltrate the human world and retrieve Gogurt. And uh, also on the shopping list is four quarts of non-fat milk, ice cream, veggies, and a party-sized bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, which apparently Splinter has underlined underlined twice. He's very keen on these Doritos. Loves them. <laughs> Can you tell me about like, uh, yeah, how you... You had a lot to do in this kind of introductory scene, uh, establishing the 
the distinct personalities of each yeah. of these characters? Like, uh, how did you arrive at at this scene and and the particular way in which you established those personalities? I I think I think like uh, I think Mike Rianda actually wrote that line. There there was like a one month period in the first year of the film where where he he was helping me do some script stuff, uh, but. Um, uh, yeah, it, it was like important to us to say in, in kind of that, like promises we're making to the audience in the first five minutes is like, there will be action. There will be these things. These Ninja Turtles are going to be different than what you're expecting, but they have the ability to be what you want. We're going to showcase a little bit of that here. We'll get back to it later, but right now we're going to meet them as just very real teenagers and and so much of the specific nuance in in their personalities just came from the actors spent a long time casting and and um uh those four kids are so fun like like out the park yeah Yeah. it's so and just so much just came from them and their chemistry with each other and uh and we used to have way more scripted jokes in that scene and then we kind of just had to throw the script out and like do an improv thing live in the room and and so really it's just them showcasing their own personalities uh and then we kind of built that in in edit and and the thing is like i don't think nick Cantu is actually a fan of tom brady we're just like oh that'd be funny to say that so seth would yell out like uh or uh i would love to have a champagne brunch with tom brady and then nick would read it and we'd like edit it in and um uh a lot of yeah it was just a lot of like finding that in in the room more so than on the page the Brady thing, like there are so many kind of pop culture references uh, that are kind of dropped in this in this mumblecore segment, yeah. as you say, of the movie. Um, at one point, I forget who, but one of them describes goat, uh, Drake as the goat of all time. Someone else mentions that Adele is transcendent. But these um, these pop culture references, they're not just deployed to make the film feel current or to tell teenage viewers, look, these guys like the same things as you, relate to them. Instead, like, you know, the pop culture references seem to be windows into this longing that the turtles have to be part of the human world. And we have that brilliant scene where they sneak into a Ferris Bueller screening, which is a really moving example of that. Um, that that's kind of like the emotional core of the movie in a way, that longing. Yeah. Can, can you tell me about like how you arrived at that emotional core and then, yeah, how Ferris Bueller ended up being kind of the yeah, establishing yeah, yeah, yeah. articulation of that. There's like five things there worth commenting on. One, uh, that he's like the goat of all time is a thing that Brady Noon, who plays Raph, just like randomly said when we weren't recording where he's like, that guy's like the goat of all time. Oh, that's funny. I just said a really funny thing. And he kept saying, like, can I use that? Can we use that somewhere in the yeah. movie? And uh, and he also just always talked about Drake. So then at some point when we were doing a recording in that scene, we we're like, oh, Brady, say, say you're your goat of all time thing and be and be like really proud of the 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 line that you came up with and it's like it, it like the writing process of those characters came from just like listening to the kids sometimes and just yeah. like oh cool okay we can we can't use that here but we can use that later let's like remember that and 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 put that put that in um but yeah like like the 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 uh the pop culture references are about their uh, aspirations, you know, like, like 
to them, they're they're very aware of human culture and they want, I think, the same things as probably a lot of uh, uh, human teenagers who don't have the hurdle of being mutants. Uh, uh, and and uh, it was just a way to like uh, uh, paint them as having these like really big uh, uh, dreams of of fame and celebrity and th- all the things that you think are going to make your life, um, easy and, and, and better. And, um, uh, I guess I was kind of inspired by cinema Paradiso. There's, there's yeah, something yeah. like really sweet and, and, um, human to me about like a group of people getting together in a dark room to just, watch a movie it's one of those like silly things we do as humans that's so uh uh uh, meaningful and uh and and also it's like i'm a movie fan so uh (laughs) but but it's like oh that's a thing the turtles can't do that's a thing that they have to be on the outside of and it's interesting just thinking about uh the 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 kid and the projectionist in the booth in cinema paradiso it's like they're watching the people watch the movies and the turtles are watching people take something for granted that they would kill to, to, to be able to do. And we tried a bunch of different movies there, uh, but landed on Ferris Bueller specifically because of the, the, the parade scene. Cause that was so far away from what they could conceive of ever being able to do. It, it gave them like the greatest distance to travel um, uh, emotionally in, in the story. Yeah. Are you able to say what some of the other movies were? Yeah, we had, uh, I mean, we had like breakfast club at one point we tried super bad, but there are not uh, clean 30 seconds of that movie that we could edit in without uh, <laughs> losing our course, PG yeah. rating. Uh, we, <laughs> Uh, an editor did a very funny thing uh, uh, where he tried putting uh, Carrie in there. And uh, so it's like Carrie is like winning uh, or, or becoming like prom queen and everyone's like clapping for her. And then the turtles like go into the sewer or, uh, uh, before anything goes wrong. And they're like, wow, Carrie, you really did it. We wish we could be like Carrie. Uh and, uh, you know, it's funny, but it's meta funny. It's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it, it works for us, but not for the actual audience. And, and Ferris Bueller just visually gave us, uh, uh, everything that we needed. Yeah. I could have watched like an entire film of just the turtles messing around, slicing watermelons and making goofy videos on their iPhones. But at some point, of course, like the story has to start and it, and it really begins in earnest when, uh, then Ninja Star hits April O'Neil. Whose, whose bike gets stolen in the aftermath. Let's talk about April because I think I have a lot to work through in terms of that kind of canonical character as someone who definitely went into journalism with some promises made to me by that early. <laughs> I really thought as a kid, I was like, oh, I guess that's what being a journalist is like. Yeah. It has not panned out that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there's some interesting things that uh, you do with April. Like there's a lot of the old April that you upend completely this feels like a new character, but still feels spiritually true and true to the iconography of the character. Can you talk to me about, yeah, your intentions, what what you set out to do with April? Yeah, I mean, a- April was always a, a, a strange uh, character <laughs> in the world of, of Turtles, where it's like, she's, she's, uh, 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 she's, 
is she their mom? Is she their love interest? It's kind of both. It's this like weird Freudian nightmare. Yeah, yeah, no. There's there, there's some like weird vibes between her and the turtles in in a lot of the 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 media that's been done and also in the ways that she's been uh uh, uh depicted. It's it's like Oh, they they really had fun doing that drawing. Uh and uh, uh and and we're like we don't they want to be normal teenagers so they need to meet a teenager and it's like okay, so she's a teenager. Is she a teen reporter? Is she like a precocious upstart like a Tracy Flick character or something? no that's not like uh, uh relatable like she just needs to be like a real new york teenager and honestly it would help the story if she's a little bit of a social outcast like um like they are and uh uh and it just really really came from this place of like we want her to feel like the fifth turtle and we want their fates to be intertwined with each other where it's like she can help them get what they want and they can help her get what she wants which for a while was like she's like I hate high school I just want it's kind of Katie Mitchell like I hate high school I just want to like get to college where I'll be cool and appreciate it. And man, if I could like break the story of this, like that would get me on people's radar and I could probably get into an Ivy league and that'd be great. I could have my own TV show like April tonight. Wow. That'd be, that'd be great. Uh, and she was like very self-interested, which, which was funny. Uh, but, but I think like a lot of people were like, I wish she was a little less self-interested. I wish it wasn't like, um, it almost feels like she's just exploiting them uh, and, and, and we wish it was more personal to her. And then, and then we're like, okay, we need to like actually share backstory for April and, and maybe hint at why she feels like an outcast or what she stands to gain personally. And like making her story um, as similar to the turtles as possible felt really useful as a storytelling tool. Mm. And the kind of puke backstory that, yeah, that, that must have unlocked a lot for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that was kind of uh, it was just really funny. That that was very late in the game uh, where we're like, we need something for April. Uh, this uh, 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 like I think Seth pitched it. Our co-director uh, Kyler Spears storyboarded it in like 24 hours. We put it in edit, slapped on a Natasha Bedingfield song, <laughs> and it was so. And I I was very skeptical. I'm like I don't. Guys, what are we like? We're just taking our our like like we're taking the character of April and and making her puke girl. What are we What are we doing? Uh, and then we watched it, and I, I was just like, "This is very funny." Wow. Okay. Uh, whoo! It's hard to deny, and I like showed it to some people that I trusted, and everyone's like, "Yeah, that's really funny." I mean, that's really. Uh, uh, and then we. Um, uh, eventually it made its way into a audience, a test audience screening and it, and it killed it. Like it played so well, uh, that we stopped debating it and we're just like, okay, this is, this is in the movie now it's working. Like, yeah. uh, it, it, the numbers were insane. April, like 
people rating April's likability as a character went up like 15 points, like based on adding this puking backstory. Uh, so uh, it, it, uh, yeah, it worked. I really, really like the idea of Natasha Bedingfield waking up one morning, checking her Spotify streams and being like, that's interesting. Where's that spike come from? And then bit of an uptick. What's uh yeah, 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 yeah. Or just like going to see the movie, taking like a nephew uh, yeah. and then uh, uh, being surprised. It is a banger. Yeah. Um, Great song. When the turtles chase down the guy who stole April's bike, it leads to kind of the first big fight scene of the movie. And I love how ill-equipped and unsure of themselves the turtles are, because of course that gives them room to grow across the story. Um, there's so many great lines in this sequence. So Donatello saying, I don't know if you guys noticed, but all I have is a big stick. How did I end up with a big stick? That kills me. But I think my favorite line or, or, or two lines as they're kind of separated comes from this thug who observes that the turtles look like mini Shreks then later he yells, murder the Shreks, which uh, brings me to an important question. Did you think the line murder the Shreks might get taken out? Were there other lines that did get taken out because they were pushing the envelope a little bit? I'm, oh, there's I'm probably so many things that got taken out and I can't remember now because I think I've blacked them out from my mind out <laughs> of uh, uh, bitterness. But uh, uh, that, that was one of those ones where it's like, it, it just used to be like, oh, they look more like little Shreks to me, uh, which I think might have been a Mike Rianda improv. He he voices that uh, character. And then uh, we had to get him back in to get a clean ADR take of, of the line that used to be like, maybe they'll see the humanity in our tragic backstory. Murder the freaks. Uh, <laughs> and Mike was like, I think it'd be funnier if he said murder the Shreks. Uh, and we were like, yep. Yes, it would. So uh, he did a take of that, which was very funny. And we're like, okay, it's got to be that. And then um, no one, no one called it out. I don't think anyone took, I think people took more issue to him saying murder than they did to any reference to Shrek. Uh, like that, that was not even on people's radar uh, uh, as an issue. And then uh, 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 Trent and Atticus were gracious enough to let me help them uh, title the score tracks uh, for the film. And uh, when we're, we're like, well, we got to come up with a name for this Chop Chop song. I was like, Murder the Tracks. <laughs> uh, so it's called that. You can listen to it on Spotify uh, or wherever you get your music. Yeah. In terms of those kind of slightly more adult lines that creep in from the margins, there is a line that I noticed just rewatching the movie last night, Seth's character getting to say after a rousing speech, it was rousing. I'm fully roused. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm amazed that that was able to stay in. That, that sadly, we we had a, a, a funnier line read of it. And then we had to, we had, due to like a sound issue, we had to change it. But it, it used to be like 20% more provocative based solely on, on, uh, I think it was more like, Oh, I'm fully roused. Uh, uh, which always made me laugh, but probably to our benefit, it changed. Yeah. There is, um, as, as, as April and the turtles team up, th there's a blink and you'll miss it shot that we see where April's kind of flicking through her notepad while she's on the phone to the guys and it, it struck me that there's so much comedy and storytelling in this one shot as there is across the entire movie. There's lots of things that sort of exist in the background as little tiny jokes or little tiny pieces of storytelling. 
In this particular moment, you see her notepad full of questions like, are they the source of COVID? How many people have how many people has the red turtle stabbed? Does he need therapy? And I'm curious, like, um, at what point this sort of storytelling comes in, whether it's uh, something that's done in the storyboarding phase, I'm guessing it's not in the script. And uh, yeah, maybe you can share as well if there's yeah. a, a particular gag in the movie along those lines that no, people no, that, that was like, uh, that was like, uh, the shot's going into production. Uh, we need to know what's going to be on this thing. And I was like, oh, uh, oh boy, uh, we got to write <laughs> something to put on there. Um, uh, 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 Kyler, uh, co-director Kyler Spears, like, you got anything? And he's like, it's like, give me an hour. And then he like came and he just wrote that. I was like, great, done. It's in the film. <laughs> Can we commit it to print forever? Uh, but uh, yeah, that that was like, I think a later-ish ad. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's other stuff like that. Um, signage, stuff like that generally comes in later in the process. Like Cool, cool Ranch Doritos being underlined twice, like, was very early. That was, like, a, a thing that was initially called out. Um, yeah, I'll think on it. I'll let you know if anything comes to mind. It's after this that we're finally introduced to Superfly. I think, uh, you know, earlier on in the movie, it's kind of teased uh, that that's going to be the, the villain here. And there's this moment early on in, as we're introduced to the turtles where they're climbing a building. There's a huge skyscraper TV with blaring audio announcing that all these heists have been occurring across the city. These big, as a tangent, these big skyscraper TVs are incredibly useful for, uh, you know, exposition yeah. in movies. I would hate to live across the road from one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think they actually exist in real life. I mean, I just spent a week in New York and it's like, there's big screens, but they are not playing the news with audio. That is a a film uh, that's a little bit of movie magic. It is indeed. Yeah. Um, but in terms of Superfly, the character, when we do eventually meet him, it's so satisfying. I'm also just like uh, really curious as to the calibration in terms of letting the audience understand the pain behind his plot like some of the best villains yeah are you know that they, they tick that box of like they have all this menace but you also kind of empathize and i'm wondering like how you arrived at, at that character his pain and yeah the, the sort of vengeance i suppose he wants to enact upon the people who've who've shunned him yeah, I, I think we, we, yeah, we didn't like, I think what you said is true. Like the most interesting um, villains like have, have a reason or in the, the rare exception, like, you know, Nolan's Joker, who it's, it's, you don't know what he is or what he's about and that's what makes it appealing. But, but generally like, like an empathetic villain is uh uh something I'm drawn to as a, as a film goer and, um, Superfly's, uh, uh, a victim. He saw like a horrible tragedy when he was very young and he had to raise a family on, on his own. And it was really important to us to give him a chance to redeem himself. Like he, he, like, we don't want to just like punish him for all of the mistakes he made up until, you know, he's about to activate the machine. Like he, he he's messed up, but he's also a product of his environment. And, uh, you know, if, if watching the wire for five seasons taught me anything, it's like blame <laughs> the systems, not the, uh, uh, 
not the street level uh, uh, criminals. Um, and uh, he he so he gets a chance to basically like Splinter appeals to him and he basically has a chance to like just stop fighting and try to accept family and friendship and, and, and he can't do it. He's, he's too far gone. And, um, and it leads to him having to be stopped. But I I think we tried versions of the ending where, um, he realizes he's messed up and he has to sacrifice himself to save his mutant family. And it was like, it was a, sad bummer and i think audiences would have hated it but like seth and i loved it <laughs> like, it's so cool like that we had a conversation at some point where it's like uh, i don't something i don't like about superhero films often they don't always do this but 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 a lot of times it's like the day is saved things are resolved emotionally because somebody like kicked and punched better than somebody else. And it's yeah. like, what a stupid way to settle <laughs> uh, uh, conflicts as like uh, 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 adult uh, uh, humans. Like it's, it, it, it's better. It felt better to have Superfly come to some kind of emotional growth and, and to have the turtles help, get him there not through um not through kicking his ass but through uh through empathy and 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 being good to him and and that ending didn't work but we we kind of transmogrified it into them doing that for the turtles like they aren't able to save superfly but they or, or for for the mutants like they they aren't able to save superfly but they're able to um went over their friends and, and having them as friends ultimately helps them defeat Superfly. So it's like they do a cool action sequence at the end where they like dunk the ooze into them. And it's, it's really compelling, but it's like the reason they triumph at the end of the movie is because they're just cool, likable dudes. And, um, and because they're open and because they're curious and, and, and it, 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 allows them to make friends. It's like their ability to make friends is ultimately what saves New York and, and stops the bad guy. And that felt like a better, um, message, I guess. Well, that end sequence is quite a few interesting things happening there. Like they have to learn to want to be heroes for the sake of being heroic, not for something transactional. Previously they've been doing heroic acts in hope that they will be accepted. But they have this moment within that sequence in Times Square where they realize that the narrative around this is everyone hates them, but they they have to decide to, to, to save the day anyways. You've also got the fact that they're not alone. As they kind of, you know, just decide to go ahead and try and save the day anyways, New York kind of rallies around them. They're helped by a kind of unsung everyday heroes of the city, like bodega workers and construction workers. Can, can you talk to me about that, actually? I find that interesting. It feels like a very New York choice. Like yeah. it would have been weird not to yeah. at least acknowledge, like it being the age that we are growing up in the geopolitical kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. situation that we have. Like 
that's something we've seen of New Yorkers, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's it's something it's in it's in one of the Raimi Spider Man movies too. And and it's and it's um um uh I I like you know New New York gets a a rap for being like a like a hard city with like uh, uh curt people, but I but I find I actually find it to be a really warm place. Like people are terse, but they but they care and they and they look out for each other. Um, so it felt uh, 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 appropriate for the city. And, and also there was so much um, anti-human rhetoric in the film. And, and there was so much uh, uh, like the turtles just want to be affirmed by humans. And it felt really important to give them that. Like they didn't like they, it's not like, like a version where they, they summon the strength and they do it and they save the day. And then humans are like, Hey, you saved the day. Thank you. We're gonna, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna clap for you. And, and we like you now makes me hate humans. Uh, uh, I'm like, no, that's bad. I don't, I don't like that. Like it's, it's better for them to be part of it, rolling up their sleeves, working with the turtles to, to, to fix the problem. And it kind of speaks to this. Um, uh, it, it, it imagines, um, goodness. It Mm. imagines, um, uh, collaboration in, in society and people being able to accomplish great things, uh, uh, working together, which, uh, it just felt appropriate for the film, I guess. And I guess the other thing that it's easy to, to not notice amidst the spectacle of everything else, there's no loose parts. Like April has something to do in this amidst all this chaos. Like she is hijacking the airwaves, overcoming her fear of being on camera to sort of grab back the narrative that the media is like spreading about the turtles and, and show them as the heroes they are. Even Splinter, he has something to, he's hooking up admittedly, but he's he's finding something to do in this sequence. Was that tricky kind of finding, you know, keeping all those plates spinning in terms of the mutants are here, Splinter's here, April's here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a part that I think we kept re re rewriting and rewriting until we got the cleanest, simplest version possible. And and there's kind of like a writing cheat in there that I'm I'm reticent to uh, call out on uh, <laughs> uh, 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 on this podcast. But it's like we kind of we're like, oh, there's an explosion, and then the mutants scatter, and then we just kind of conveniently put them on a shelf for for like 15 <laughs> minutes of screen time, and then bring them back when they're when they're helpful. So it's not, uh, uh, as, uh, as elegant as it, uh, as it may seem, but you're not thinking about it while you're watching it. You're just invested in, in the turtles. And like that, that's the kind of stuff that I think is really like the only way I know how to write it is to just like try something and then try it again and try it again like that. Okay. Uh, they do like, uh, they rally together. Okay. The giant monster forms, uh, and that's scary and that's bad, but Splinter gives a speech. So they rally together. Cool. We're feeling good. They do travel across the water to that MOP song and it's the badass and I'm so excited. Great. We're going up. We're going up. They try to shoot it, uh, but they fail and their whole plan fails and now it's bad and now they're scattered and now it's getting worse. And now they find out that humans hate them. Uh, and, uh, but 
they're rallying and they're going to fight him anyway. And they're going up and up and up again. And it seems like they're going to do it. And then he catches them. And then now it's somehow worse than it was before. <laughs> and it's, it's things that like, uh, uh, it's like playing a game of operation, uh, uh, the board game. I don't know if it exists in the UK, but it's like, yeah, yeah. okay. Okay. Where it's like, you're just like, like instead of a buzzer, it's just like writing rules. You've been taught, uh, your yeah. whole life. And it's like, don't get electrocuted. Like Robert McKee's voice is in my head. <laughs> like, uh, he's going to yell at me, uh, like, <laughs> like an adaptation, uh, uh, like, Oh no, like you can't have the third act ping pong that much from good to bad. And we have too many like fake endings and Oh God, now we're return of the kinging it where it just keeps ending and ending. And, uh, but I, I still don't know how it ended up working. (laughs) So sometimes at the end of like a movie like this, it's like climbing a, a really tall ladder or something. You get to the top and you're like, I did it. Oh God, I shouldn't have looked down. How did I get up here? This is a miracle. This nothing about this should work. Um, but, uh, but yeah, somehow, somehow it kind of works. Uh, don't watch the end of the movie too many times, people. <laughs> Please buy it on uh, 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 digital, uh, stream it on uh, Paramount Plus, leave the room for the last 20 minutes, don't analyze them, uh, don't pull out any of those threads. But the, um, the coda, if you like, in which like that thing that originally was on like page 30 of the script that you've now transposed to the end, the turtle's getting to go to school it's really beautiful like the importance of how that all plays out like i love the simplicity of the shot from i think it's mikey's point of view he opens the sewer manhole cover into daylight and the daylight's almost blinding and you realize it's so important to go into his point of view there because he's always going out into the cover of night and there's there's like a larger theme in the film about like not being able to be seen because you don't fear you, you fear you won't be accepted in this moment, in in like that combination of shots, you see them stepping out and then you also see the kind of bandana, I don't know the official yeah. name for that mask that they wear over their eyes. Like Mikey's uh, bandana just floats down into, yeah. into Splinter's hands. It's, it's really beautiful and it hits all the emotional beats that it's supposed yeah. to. Can you talk to me about like, finding that visual articulation for such <laughs> yeah. an emotional thing. It's so beautiful. Well, that, that was, uh, that was our producer Ramsey McBean's, uh, uh, idea. And that was actually a solution to a technical problem that we had. I would love to be like, yeah, that was, you know, I, I had that image in my mind uh, <laughs> it came for, to me in for a dream. months now. Yeah. It just, I, I woke up, I wrote it down on a piece of paper and fell back asleep. And then, uh, uh, no, it's such a, a beautiful opponent image, but we, we were working with two vendor studios who each made different assets for the film. So Cinecite in Vancouver had a sewer and they had turtles wearing masks and they were doing that part of the film. And Micros in Montreal and Paris were doing the school part and they had a version of the turtles wearing school clothes but no masks. And this was from a very early version of the script where they had modeled the turtles wearing, wearing school clothes. So we had to transition from one vendor studio to the other. And we couldn't like Cinecite technically wasn't able to have them remove their masks in that scene. Uh, and Micros wasn't able to add masks in the following scene. So we just had to, 
they leave the sewer and then in the next scene they don't have masks and and McBean came up with this idea of like oh we could just cut to splinter and we can animate a single mask floating down that's within our budget and and time frame constraints so uh Let's do that. And we're like, yeah, that's a great, beautiful image, too. That <laughs> solves our technical issue and uh, I think makes the movie better. And it's a shot that a lot of people uh, uh, comment on. And it's like that wasn't added until the final month of the movie. Uh, and it was just to solve this technical issue. Uh, but it worked. <laughs> yeah. That's so crazy. Um, and of course, then the film ends with as I say, that post-credits sting that kind of teases uh, more to come, teases yep. out like an entire organization to be taken down and of course Shredder in the mix. Where are you at, if anywhere, on on a sequel? Have you made any inroads? Is, is that a conversation you've been having yet or, or where yeah, are we? Yeah, we're, you know, uh, with, uh, with a slight time taken away for uh, me coming uh, to London specifically to do this podcast, no other reason. <laughs> uh, you, you've cost the sequel uh, like uh, seven days. Uh, You're not going to invoice us, what? are you? You're not yeah, gonna- yeah, yeah, no, yeah, you'll be, you'll be getting quite a bill in the mail. Um, no, like we, we've begun on it. We're thinking about it. We are... Um, I don't want to say too much about it, but, but, uh, uh, I just know it needs to be, uh, different in a lot of ways. Like, I think this first movie was, uh, was a success because it was like me and a team of animators, a lot of us doing this for the first time being like, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? And we had this like like teenage trying to get away with shit energy about making this film. Um, and I think there are a lot of things that it's, it's that climbing to the top of the really tall ladder thing where it's like, if, if we had known how scary some of this stuff was or, or how dangerous we were to not, or, or how close we were to not pulling it off, we might've been afraid. And it's like, we just, so we can't like, a sequel won't be successful if we come at it thinking like, oh, we know how to do this now. We've got this. Like, we need to be just as curious, just as um, taking nothing for granted, assuming nothing as we as we were on the last one and just like keep pushing boundaries and and keep <laughs> keep trying to start shit because uh, <laughs> I think that's that's what'll lead us to a a something successful and and beloved can I throw an, an idea out there please bring them two words sausage nunchucks oh great that's what well, are they gonna have to ban it in the yeah UK? Well, I won't be able to see it I'll just take a flight <laughs> <to myself, but. laughs> that's great it'll be perfect we'll, we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll, we'll get it back for y'all yeah that'd, that'd be, be great, great if you could um Jeff this has this has been so much fun it's uh it's been a, ver- a very rousing conversation I'm fully roused right now we're, there you we're go. Both, yeah <laughs> um thank you so much for, the, for yeah taking the time and coming on the show again back for back for seconds really do appreciate it jeff and congrats again on this amazing movie thank you so much it was wonderful wonderful talking round three still to come yep yeah. three years I'll, I'll see you back here again you've been listening to scripts apart thank you so much for tuning in a reminder that if you want to help the show continue to grow you can join us on patreon by visiting patreon.com 
forward slash script apart or clicking the link in today's show notes. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.